And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Uh, jumping over the text lines real quick, I will tell you that uh, Steve from Tennessee says, I can sum up Kay Ivey in her speeches in five words. Minimize expectations to avoid disappointments. <laughs> Steve from Tennessee. Always got away with words. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, we got a new texter, Marie from Huntsville. We're glad you're on the line. Marie, we'll get you plugged into the system. Uh, she says, this is Marie in Huntsville. If the drug cartels have paid off the government officials and police in Mexico, is it really a stretch to believe they might not also be paying off some of the corrupt officials here in our country as well? It really makes you wonder when neither of our political parties, for the most part, seem interested in actually dealing with the crisis at the border. Uh, I would hope not, but it is not beyond the stretch of imagination, Marie, although I will tell you, uh, I feel like the corruption is largely based on the southern side of that border. Um, uh, if there is something going on on this side, uh, I would bet that it's more localized and giving them the ability to traffic in as opposed to somebody in Congress just not passing a bill. Um, I think you're going to see some congressional action uh, coming up here soon. The question is whether the Biden administration has the stomach to to sign off on it. Um what else we got here on the line? Um, uh, Michelle from Huntsville says, Corrine Jacques-Pierre <laughs> is the poster child for all of those who swallow the lefty lies they hear in Parrot. It, uh, isn't that true? Uh, Brian from Huntsville says, former tanker from Fort Bliss, how many Americans get beat up and robbed there versus cartel members on our side of the border? I, I agree. I'm, I'm betting, and, and that's, you know, I've never been stationed at Fort Bliss. But Brian has, obviously. And, uh, and you're, you're talking about uh, a, a bunch of Joes get a weekend pass. Guess how many of them get beat up by comparison to the number of Mexicans who get beat up when they come on this side? Not, not very often. So, yeah, uh, Obrador, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, Colin from Decatur said, uh, what's he talking about? The Goodyear plant. Yeah, he said, well, Gadsden's losing their tax double dip for occupational tax on Goodyear employees and then taxing Goodyear. Imagine that. Well, it, 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 that's, that's the way it happened, Colin. Yes, it did. All right, let me jump over here. So last night, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, gave her state of the state a speech. And so this is a thing that happens every year. The legislature goes into session. On the first day of session, the governor will then also deliver a speech called the state of the state and outline the governor's agenda. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be kept a secret up to that point. You can actually get out there and do some work. You can actually get out there and hold a press conference. You can actually get out there and say, here's what I'm calling on the legislature to do, or here's the leadership position I'm going to take, or here's what I'm joining with other states to make happen. When's the last time you heard that out of Governor Ivey? Hit me some crickets there, Boomer. You got any crickets? There you go. You haven't heard that. I mean, when you've got Governor Kemp and you've got Governor Tate Reeves from Mississippi and you've got Governor Kemp from Georgia and you've got Governor DeSantis from Florida and then you got, you know, um, oh, gosh, what's uh, the governor from Tennessee, Bill? Um, Bill, Lee. Bill Lee, thank you. Man, I mean, we got, some, we got some rowdy governors. We're surrounded by some rowdy governors, some rowdy Republican governors that are outspoken and getting stuff done. And then we have, hit me the crickets again. That's what it feels like. Well, last night she gave her speech, and she outlined a few things. Now, the conservatives in this state have been calling for a long period of time, me included, for several things. Number one, comprehensive tax reform or tax relief. Number two, school choice. Last night you got a tepid 
token view of those two things. So, story here from 1819 News. Craig Monger wrote this one. It says, in her State of the State address on Tuesday, Governor Ivey announced her call for a special session to handle the allocation of American Rescue Plan Act funds. So if you're not familiar, we got a ton of money from the federal government because of COVID. Like $1.7 billion, no, $1.9 billion, I believe it was. Uh, anyway, $1.7, I think. Yeah, $1.7 billion. We spent part of it already. Now they're going back in to spend the other billion-ish. And this is being done in a special session. So the way this works is, the, the, the legislature gaveled in once a year. They, can, they can't go down there and do pass laws whenever they feel like it. So if you're thinking, why aren't they busy like Congress is all the time? Because they're part-time. The Alabama legislature, like most state legislatures, is considered a part-time gig. When I was in, my wife and I, we jokingly called it my full-time, part-time job. But you, you can only go into session either A, during the regular session, which is scheduled at a certain period of time and it's constitutionally mandated, or B, if the governor calls you into a special session, at which point the governor has to issue what's known as the call and put in the call what he or she is asking for the legislature to address. Why is the governor stopping the regular session, which started yesterday, and asking them to go into special session right away? Because they want it to be distraction-free. That's why. Because when you, when you get on the floor of the Senate or the House and you're dealing with one bill, I guarantee you there's four other bills in the background that someone is saying, I'll give you my vote if you'll do this thing, or I want to do an amendment, or I want to have a filibuster to slow the rest of it down. Well, when you get into a special session and all you can do is address the call, in this case, the ARPA money, the, the billion dollars, then it sort of refines the focus. You get in there, you do the thing, you move it forward, you vote in one body, it goes to the next body, they move it forward. You get it done, you send it to the governor, you sign it, you're done. There's times when it's good. There's also times when it's not good because sometimes you don't want A billion dollars shouldn't go fast. Let's put it that way. A billion dollars should not be rushed through a process. And brother, it's about to be rushed through a process. Let me just tell you. You're about to see a billion dollars get spent in record time. Like shabam, and it's gone. And that's what's going to happen because the I believe the legislative session, the special session was called, and I think it's for five days. That's the actual minimum amount of time it takes to get a bill through the legislative process. Because the way it works is, a, and if I get too much in the weeds, I apologize, but the way it works is a bill gets dropped in, which is the, the formal introduction. You drop it off with the, actually hand it to the clerk with your signature on it and the signature of any co-sponsors. You hand, it's called dropping it in. You drop the bill in. The clerk then does what it's called its first reading, actually reads it out loud. Senate bill so-and-so, sponsored by Senator so-and-so, is now introduced into the body and, and then assigned to the committee on so-and-so. And then it goes to committee. The committee meets. The committee debates it, hopefully. Sometimes not. The committee gives it a report. If the committee decides to let it die in committee, it can just sit there and never come back out. You're, you're done. If the committee gives it what's called a favorable report, then it comes back out and is reported out, they call it, reported out to the Senate again. In this case, we'll call it the Senate. And the Senate then announces the second reading. The Senate bill number so-and-so has now received a favorable report from the committee on so-and-so and is therefore, 
you know, transferred to the Committee on Rules. Rules then decides when it comes to the floor. And the Rules Committee can bring that thing in a special session to bang, 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 it's done, it's out. You vote on it in the body, and then it gets transmitted from that house to the other body where they do the exact same process. First reading, second reading, third reading is when you pass it, and then it goes to the governor. You can do that at a minimum. It has to have five days to make that happen. A billion dollars in ARPA funds is going to get jammed through the legislative process in a special session starting probably today, I guess, and it's going to zip on through in five days. Minimal debate, minimal time to amend, minimal time to question, minimal time to get your head around it. It's basically a plan that the governor needs, and the legislative branch appears to be ready to just go ahead and cede authority over to the governor to do whatever she wants to do with the billion dollars in according to the notions that she sent across the street for them to consider. If we see something new and different coming, I'll be surprised. But right now, it appears that billion dollars is already locked in. They have baked it in. All right, but there's a whole lot more in the State of the State address. So that's the first thing. Special session's happening. But then there's other stuff when they get back into the regular session. What are they going to do? Are we going to have school choice? Are we going to have some tax relief? Is somebody going to say something about corrections? I'll tell you all about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about way on down south of Birmingham to up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back on over to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. So, um, yeah, this uh, this spending going on, let me just tell you, there, there's, there's ways to do things, right? There's ways to do things, and there's ways to not do things. Um, one of the things that I really like about one of our new advertisers, uh, Elm Foundation, is I, I like the way they do things when it comes to putting resources in people's hands. So the Elm Foundation, E-L-M, the Elm Foundation, based out of Huntsville, uh, they are um, apparently doing an amazing job at, at helping people who are disenfranchised, disadvantaged, uh, to find a, a, a way to become you know, more stable and productive without just giving them handouts, not just throwing money at it. They are literally doing things like providing them with resources and opportunities and, and, and giving, like I said a moment ago, more of a hand up than a hand out. And they've been apparently very successful. I mean, they, 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 they do any number of things and provide things like higher education and certification programs, targeted training for employment, um, you know, providing uh, resources and support for people who are trying to get back on their feet. And like I said, it's not just a hand out, it's a hand up. You can check them out. I'd encourage you to do so. They're a 501c3 called the Elm Foundation, based out of Huntsville. 
And their website is ELMHSV, as in Elm Huntsville, ELMHSV.org. Yeah, check them out. We're glad to have them on the team. Um, all right, so heading into the big spend right now. You may be wondering, okay, so the governor just sent the legislature into special session. And that special session now is going to begin and it's going to consider a $1.06 billion amount of money that has to be spent. I mean, the federal government didn't give it to you so you can tuck it away. They actually gave it to them to spend, and I get it. Here's what they've got allocated right now according to the governor's uh, draft plan. $400 million for water and sewer grants. Okay, let me point something out. While that may be necessary, what that also means is rescuing local systems that have done a poor job of keeping their, their systems up to date. Just saying. That's what it is. It's also, by the way, when you see grant, what that means is there's a whole lot of money set aside that the governor has discretion on where it goes. So when you see grants, what you find is, hey, governor, on the squeaky wheel, give me some money, and the governor gets to decide yay or nay on that. So $400 million for water and sewer grants, $225 million more for broadband expansion, $339 million allocated to public health, things like $100 million to reimburse hospitals for COVID-19, $40 million for public education health insurance plans. What? I just caught that. The PHIP plan. I don't mind the fact that we give insurance to our teachers and all, but what the frick are we providing another $40 million to... I, I, Anyway, $18 million for mental health providers, $5 million to reimburse mental health providers for COVID-19, $20 million for a voluntary clinical trial and research program on what? Um, $55 million for community services like food banks and senior services. $5 million for the Alabama Department of Labor for its expenses in responding to the pandemic. Really? Because they couldn't do it on their government budget you know, never mind the fact that businesses left and right were doing all they could in the private sector. Um, Senator Arthur Orr, who is the budget chair, been on the show several times. Arthur Orr says, in my opinion, there will need to be some changes. There's a few areas I want to see modified. He's a budget chairman. He's going to have a say-so in this. He says, we're looking at additional categories that are provided for ARPA expenditures that other states have done. And he also has pointed out most recently that he's more in favor of a more comprehensive form of tax relief, which these ARPA funds, by the way, are allowed to be used for. That's what's so maddening. Is it's like, okay, you got a lot of extra money. Let's make sure we feed the beast, feed the beast, feed the beast. The private sector, and by the and, and, and listen, I get it. The governor, I'll tell you about it more in a minute, but the governor apparently also says she's for rebates. What's a rebate? A one-time check that comes to you in the mail. We got a bunch of extra money, so I'm going to send you some of it. Well, that's, I guess that's good. That's not the same as saying, I'm going to lower your taxes. Saying I've got too much of your money, so I'm going to give you a rebate is a whole lot different than saying I'm not going to collect as much money in the future. There's a difference. I want to remind you guys of something. We are one of the only states in the nation that taxes groceries at all. At all. Like, at all. In the history of at all, we're one of the only ones. There's only 12 states in the nation that tax groceries. Of those 12, there's only three that tax groceries at the highest possible rate the state law allows, and Alabama is one of those three. So four cents on every dollar goes to your state coffers. 
But Phil, if you know the if you know the deal, those who know know, if you know the deal, sales tax in Alabama goes straight to education, just education. Education has had increasing budgets now for the last ten years straight without proration, and we are still one of the last in the nation. Obviously, it's not about the money in education; it's about what you do with it. So that being said, maybe it's time to consider why we're one of the only states that has a grocery tax. But Phil, we have the lowest property taxes. If we raise property taxes, maybe then we could do at the grocery tax. That's a stupid thing to say. All that saying, and that's, that's the reason why I wound up having to vote against a repeal of a grocery tax when I was in the legislature, because they always attach a stringer to it. You get there, you get kind of fired up, grocery tax. We're going to lower the grocery tax? <gasps> oh, but only if we raise it over here. That's messed up. When you have this level of a surplus, and oh, by the way, we put several measures in place since those days that lead me to believe that we can begin phasing out. You don't have to do it overnight. If, you want to, if, you're, if you're scared of getting rid of the whole four-cent grocery tax in one whack, then maybe you cut it in half the first year and phase out the next two cents over the next five years. I mean, there's a way to do this. You can skin this cat. I'm not going to tell you how to skin it. Just tell you to skin it. It's time to do it. It is time to do it. So the ARPA spending bill, we'll see. I do know that uh, Senator Greg Albritton, a Republican from down yonder in uh, Range, Alabama, says the amounts that are being spent on sewer and water infrastructure in the plan uh, could result in funds going toward projects because of matching more funds because it pulls down federal matching dollars. Okay, maybe so. And that's, that's all cool, and I get it. But what we're looking at right now is there's some systems in this state that have done a horrible job at managing, like total mismanagement at the local level. And they're going to get money for their years of mismanagement. Meanwhile, you're going to have systems that have done a good job and have kept their systems up to date, up to code. All their people are happy. They flush their toilets and drink their water without any trouble at all, and they're not going to get a dime. And that, to me, just feels a little weird. So, yeah, I get, I get a, little, I get a little, little eerie when I see the legislature going, ah, let's just give the governor a checkbook and say, Governor, issue grants at your discretion. Um, so... The legislature has now recessed for two weeks, recessed for two weeks, so they can have their special session in the interim. Um, yeah, so that's going to happen. Uh, what else have I got here? Ivy, in her speech last night, she did talk about school choice, sort of. She said that her education policy objectives include an endorsement of charter schools. We already have a charter school law. She wants to enhance it. She wants to bring more accountability to it. I guess that means that she wants to make sure that we don't have another charter school that's directed just to LGBTQ kids like the one in Birmingham. Um, that's just, that's just, that's, that's her plan. Her plan for school choice in the state that is almost bottom in the nation is, I want to see a little more for charter schools. She goes on to say, it's important that we have meaningful discussions on school choice. That must begin with improving the school choice we already have. In other words, I don't want to do anything new. Let's just stick with what we got, all right? So she wants to enhance the Accountability Act, which we passed in 2013 when I was there. Um, and she wants to give more startup funds for charter schools and then give them um, a charter school commission that has better accountability. That's her plan. That's, that's it. That's her plan for school choice. Boom, am I going to have the crickets again? Yes. So while Ivy's proposal does not necessarily acknowledge much in the way of school choice, she did um, 
suggest further funding for charter schools, and that's about it. But to keep in mind that we have State uh, Representative Ernie Yarbrough and State Senator Larry Stutz who have proposed what is being called the Price Act, the Parents' Right in Children Education Act, that would allow a true measure of school choice. And that bill is coming up, and I am hoping it will get full and you know, robust debate and hopefully passage. I would love to see it pass. My question is, if they pass it, will the governor sign it? Um, well, they've put her on the spot before, and, and, and I'm hopeful that they'll do it again. Uh, she also did call for a $400 to $800 rebate, so no true tax reform. She didn't even address a grocery tax. She didn't address, you know, uh, lowering taxes in other areas. She didn't address, you know, doing anything other than let's give a one-time check. And so, you know, she kind of made it sound big. I want to put money back in the hands of the people of Alabama. One time. Just once. It would be a $400 rebate if you are a family that has a, uh, um, an income tax you have to pay. It would also mean $800 if you're a dual-income family. Okay. Well, cool. Last I checked, that's the way Democrats usually do it. They throw a check out there and hope for the best. Uh, Senate President uh, Pro Tem Greg Reed said that he believes that broadband access and water and sewer projects are going to be major priorities. He also, uh, they also went on to say that on other initiatives, Ivy said she would sign an executive order to reduce red tape facing small businesses. Okay. She proposed creating a $200 million Main Street program to provide grants to locally owned businesses. No details on how that works. $200 million Main Street program grants. What that basically means is you can apply to the governor's office and see if she likes you enough. In education, the governor said she would support target expansion of pre-K programs, which have been pretty successful in Alabama, I'll admit. The governor also went on to propose another 2% pay raise for teachers. Now, I do not mind teachers getting a pay raise, but I, at some point we're going to have to start saying pay raises are tied to schools improving. I mean, where else in the world are you allowed to be at low ebb constantly and still get a pay raise all the time? Government, that's the only place you can do it. So in this case, I would love to see teachers get a pay raise, but I would love for them to improve education first. How about that? That's a neat idea. Here's two things I don't get. Before we go to break, I'll say this. The governor proposed creating the Alabama School of Healthcare Sciences. In other words, a new special kind of a STEM-related school. Okay. In Demopolis. In Demopolis? Is that really the best place to recruit kids to a, uh, a magnet school of some type? In Demopolis? I, Demopolis is a cool little town. It is. But it's a cool little town. And it's a little bit out of the way. Anyway, down there in uh, southwest Alabama. Beautiful place. Great deer hunting down there. Anyway, the school would be in Demopolis and would offer students in grades 9 through 12 science, technology, and math courses and hands-on clinical training experiences. Okay. Here's the other one that I found interesting. Ivy announced the state would join a partnership between the family of University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban and the city of Tuscaloosa to form the Saban Center, which she said would offer interactive and immersive instruction for STEM students, as well as arts and sports sciences. And Ivy introduced Terry Saban, Nick Saban's wife, who was there that night as her guest. Huh. Huh. How much are the Sabans putting in on their own to, to form the center, and how much is the University of Alabama going to contribute, and how much is the state going to have to pony up? Huh. Anyway, lots of stuff, a little bit of red meat, not a lot of what I would call 
true conservative effort. Let's take the break right now. Boomer will come right back and kind of put a lid on this one. Then top of the hour, it's time for Grand Council. Today, we got a little bit of a substitute. We got a pinch hitter in. Dale Jackson can't make it. We got Sean Sullivan coming in from FM Talk 106.5 down yonder on the coast, along with Jeff Poor and me. That's top of the hour. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, right side radio, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, hey, uh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you, if, if you're not familiar right now, the the right side multiverse has expanded. It just has, and it has in a big way. So, uh, yeah, Boomer and the lovely McQueen, his better three quarters, they've got a podcast called The Right Life, which is uh, we we download at least two times a week. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. comes out uh, usually every Wednesday with two two more episodes. Every Wednesday, a couple episodes. Did you drop a couple today? This morning. Hey! Two more. <laughs> it's so, a blast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually going very cool. In fact, I love the interview. I listened to it uh, over the weekend that y'all did with the... Uh, uh, the owners of a Chick Fil A franchise, and, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't really like a a Chick Fil A podcast. It no. was a it was a podcast about taking risks in life and kind of coming up from nothing and 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 just loving the blessings you've been provided with. It was very absolutely, cool. and just kind of getting their their input on life. Yeah, yeah. it was really neat. Yeah, it was it was very good. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to check out uh, that, so here's what we do. By the way, every day we do the show live, uh, AM FM across you know over half the state of Alabama. And uh, and then Boomer, but like like literally within minutes of the show being over with, he has taken the show, broken it down into segments like interviews and you know grand council monologue, whatever, and he puts it all out there in podcast form on every version of podcasting known to man. Uh, that is going gangbusters. How what are we at right now, by the way? One hundred and twenty three thousand four hundred. Nice. Yes. All right. So one hundred twenty three thousand downloads of the Right Side Radio podcast. And then we added the Boomer McQueen Right Life. And that thing's been downloaded hundreds and hundreds of times already, which is just very cool. Already. It's yeah. it's it's booming. So it's it's really cool to see everybody uh joining in. So is that a joke that is booming? Huh? <laughs> I didn't even catch it. <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, let me jump back on this part of the triple dipper. And by the way, coming up here in about the next five minutes, we'll go take our top of the hour break and then we'll come back with uh Jeff Poor and Sean Sullivan today for the Grand Council. We do it every Wednesday at four o'clock. Uh, so, yeah, um, AL.com, Mike Kaysen. Mike Kaysen's a good dude. Mike Kaysen wrote a piece, uh, headline yesterday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey to request increases in state budgets. All right, so one of the things that I find a little bit fascinating in a somewhat disappointing way is that we're told that we have to be careful. We're not sure we can do true tax reform because, you know, the money might not be here a year from now. We might be on lean times by then. We just don't know. Okay, if that's your excuse, that means you tighten up everywhere. You don't ask for more in your budget. You don't ask for pay increases. Because here's what happens. 
When you give somebody a 2% pay increase, it's not just for this year. It's perpetual. Because once you give them a 2% pay increase, you're not going to cut it. So if you're going to give pay increases, if you're going to increase budgetary processes, understand this. You have just pretty much embedded that in to future budgets. So if there's not enough to give the people of the state something back, but yet you can still grow government, what the heck? The stories are not adding up. AL.com writes, Alabama State Finance Director said today that Governor Kay Ivey would request increases in the state's general fund and education budgets, but cautioned that lawmakers should be prepared for leaner times. My point exactly. Finance Director Bill Poole. I like Bill Poole, by the way. He's a former state representative, just a really good guy. Um, he, he's, he's, he, he became the finance director uh, when uh, the previous director uh, had, had retired uh, after a long career. He gave a presentation to lawmakers, which they do every year, uh, and Poole says the governor's requested education budget will call for $8.79 billion, um, which is a 6.5% increase over the past year which, by the way, the last year was the biggest education budget ever. In case you're not familiar, Alabama has uh, a very unusual form of budgeting. Everything's in two budgets. Education all by itself, $8.79 billion is the ask. But the rest of the state is funded by what's called the general fund. And the general fund, all the non-education state programs and services, Ivy's requesting $2.97 billion, which is 8.4% more than last year. So we're looking at a 6.5% increase in education, an 8.5% increase in everything else, and yet there's not enough money for true tax relief. Wow. All right, folks, stay tuned. We'll come right back with the Grand Council. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. <laughs> 